Hi there. I'm Mark Swallow, and I'm glad you are joining me for today's God Is podcast. Let's get started learning who God is. Thank you for joining me today from wherever you are and by however you listen as we meet together coast to coast here in the United States and all the way around the world. It's good to have you here, and I am grateful that the Lord has seen fit to preserve each one of our lives and bring us together around His Word at the start of a brand new week. Let's get started with a question. When I say the word providence, what do you think of? Or if I say providential, or even provident, what comes to mind? We're playing word association, and if I say providence, or providential, or provident, what do you say? Some of you may have thought of the place, Providence, Rhode Island. This is the most populous city in the U.S. state of Rhode Island, and it may surprise you to know that it was named after the providence of God. It was founded in 1636 by Roger Williams, who was a Puritan pastor and theologian exiled from my state, Massachusetts. And when he got down to the mouth of what is now the Providence River at the head of the Narragansett Bay, he named the place Providence because he wanted to honor God's merciful providence in giving him and his followers such a beautiful location in which to settle. So if every time you think of the place of providence, you think of God, that's a good thing. Others of you may have thought of the health plan, the Providence Health Plan, or the insurance company, Provident Insurance. These are both good names for health and insurance companies. And maybe you thought of something else or someone else like that person in your life who uses this phrase, in the providence of God. That's a very good way to begin a sentence. As we learned last week, the providence of God applies to everyone and everything, the big and the small. And I know someone, yes, an elderly person, who uses this vocabulary for many small things. In the providence of God, we got a parking space right out front. In the providence of God, my favorite oatmeal is back in stock at the supermarket. In the providence of God, I got the car in the garage before the first snowflakes fell. Well, whatever we think of when we say the word providence, we believe it certainly applies to God. God is the God of providence. And thus far we have said that by providence we mean God preserves everyone and everything he has created, and that God directs the actions of everyone and everything he has created working all things together for His honor and His glory. On Friday, we got started on this second aspect to the divine providence, and we pick up here again with a brief reminder of what was said before the weekend commenced. Having created everyone and everything, and preserving everyone and everything, God continually directs the actions of everyone and everything and he directs those actions towards a certain end. And that end is that everyone and everything honors and glorifies God. To quote A.A. A. Hodge, there is a design in providence. And with Charles Hodge, we say God has an end to be attained, 
And to accomplish his end, God so governs the universe, he so directs, he so controls the sequence of all events so as to make certain the accomplishment of all his purposes. We can be sure that our lives are a part of a much bigger and too rarely considered grand plan of Almighty God. Here is how so many of us can think of our lives. We just wake up by the grace of God, and we go about our days and nights in our little nook and cranny of the universe, head down, working, making a living, providing for our families, parenting, caring for our elderly parents, worrying about this and that, enjoying some pain and some pleasure, only to fall into bed and repeat the next day and the next week and the next month and year. But it seems we do not have time to ponder how everyone around us, as well as we ourselves, and everything that is happening in the world is all a part of a grand design made by God. And yet, because we depend upon God for our very being, literally every breath we take is a gift from Him. We also depend upon God for the action in our lives. We hope, we pray, we seek to see how he will direct all things together in our lives for his honor and glory. And at about this point on Friday, I said that in the providence of God, God even directs our sin such that in the end, God is honored and God is glorified. Well, surely that grabbed your attention. And that is what we now want to develop this week on the broadcast and podcast. Please join us each day. If you missed what was said last week, just jump on GodIsMinistry.org. That's our website, GodIsMinistry.org. And at the center of the homepage, find all of our podcasts. This is a great and efficient way to stay up to date on all the teaching. Again, our website is www.GodIsMinistry.org. Check it out today. As part of this study on God's providence, we are searching for an answer as to why God allows for evil and sin in the first place. Well, I believe his providence is God's only answer, at least the only answer he has chosen to reveal to our feeble and weak minds. So let's grab a hold of this answer within the pages of Scripture by following two lives that best demonstrate for us the providence of God over evil and sin. We will begin with the first life tomorrow. But just before we get to it, I want to lay out for you some scriptures that support what I mean when I say that God's providence answers for sin and evil. Get this locked in your mind. God never causes sin, and God never approves of sin. But God does permit sin. He also directs sin. He certainly restrains and limits sin, and he overrules sin. He does the same with evil. It is clear that God permitted Satan to sin and therefore fall from heaven, and God permitted him to enter the garden via the serpent, and God permitted Adam and Eve to be tempted and to sin. But while permitting, God never approved, nor does he simply concur with the results of that sin and that evil. No. But God does determine that Satan and sinful people will be permitted to exist according to our sinful nature. This is obvious, right? 
God does not immediately wipe out the person who sins. Most often, God does not wipe out evil persons. He allows them to exist. Listen to just one scripture, Acts 14, verse 16. In the generations gone by, God permitted all the nations to go their own ways. There is God's permission towards sin and evil, Acts 14, 16. And boy, have the nations run wild with that permission. This is a sin-sick world. No matter where we travel and live around the world, the peoples of the nations have gone their own way, rushing straight into sin and evil. Then, what God does is to so order circumstances that the wickedness of people takes the course of action he directs it to take. God directs sin and evil for his purposes. Let me say that again. God so orders circumstances that the wickedness of people takes the course of action he directs it to take. God directs sin and evil for his purposes. Consider Acts chapter 2, verse 23. I am reading Acts 2.23. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. This man is Jesus Christ. What a verse! And we will look at this in the near future again. But just here... God so ordered the detailed circumstances of Jesus' death that because of the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, godless men nailed Jesus to the cross and killed him. Think about that. Friends, the death of Christ was within the providence of God. But do I think God caused that sin? No. Do I think God approved of their sin? Absolutely not. Do I think God will judge their sin? Oh, yes, he will. But did God permit the pure evil and the murder of his son? Yes. And did God direct their sin for his purposes? Yes. God certainly overruled the sin of the people who crucified Jesus, somehow working all things together for God's honor and glory. Don't we give honor and glory to God because of the death of Christ? Well, I sure hope we do. And now let me direct you to some scripture that highlights for us the truth. God restrains, God limits sin. And he does this by the restraining power of the Holy Spirit. Thank God he does, because when the restraining power of the Holy Spirit is taken away from this earth in the end times, all hell breaks loose. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing about the coming Antichrist, and he writes about what restrains him now, and a little further along, he who now restrains. That is 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 6 and 7. 2 Thessalonians 2, 6 and 7. This is the Holy Spirit. The power of the Spirit of God restrains the evil Antichrist. Tomorrow I will start us off with more on the Holy Spirit restraining or limiting sin in us. 
What we have learned in this survey of Scripture is that God never causes sin, and God never approves of sin, but God does permit sin. God also directs sin. He certainly restrains and limits sin. He does the same with evil. This is part of what we mean when we talk about the providence of God. And there will be more on this tomorrow on God Is. Thank you for listening to this God Is podcast. Drop me an email and tell me what you think. Mark at GodIsMinistry.org That's Mark at GodIsMinistry.org Please do share this with others and be sure and join me for the next one.